0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Yeah, so it's good to be here. You know, I've obviously been here, but making a transition to this side of the stage or whatever you call it in the front, and um, yeah, but to be standing here to deliver the word of God to you um, and to share what God has placed in my heart and all that is just truly a a privilege. And so, yeah, I mean, I would have never personally imagined living in Arizona, um, let alone just becoming a part of a wonderful church community here and have this opportunity to serve you in this way. And it's just so crazy to think of that this time last year, I had no idea that any of you existed. (laughs) Um, And vice versa. Um, I didn't know anything about cactus cacti and javelinas and sonoran dogs and these are all new com- new ideas, new concepts. Although I have to say I did wrap a piece of bacon around my hot dog before, so <laughs> maybe there's a little bit of Tucson in me after all. Um, yeah, but I come from a church where I grew up all my life and I was eventually brought onto staff. And I could say that I probably knew of almost every person at the church um, about about thousand people and just growing up there seeing people added and we had a youth ministry of about 10 students 15 students that grew to be about 150 and so coming from that context where I knew everyone and I started to serve on staff and Korean was probably the primary language for three-quarters of the of the, of the people there. Um, it just feels so different to be in a different context and it's just a vastly different context in every aspect that you can think of, including the geography and the ecosystem outside and, you know, everything. Um, and so it's mind-blowing to think that God would bring me here and lead me here to serve you. Um, and yet, all along this whole time, we've been worshiping the same God and Renewed by the same blood of Christ and his death and resurrection, which gives us the same victory and new life. And we're able to rejoice in the same gospel truths, proclaiming the same glory of God, which all of, all of it is revealed to us by the Spirit through his good word and in his good and inerrant word. And so it is crazy. It is crazy to think of all this, that God's goodness is so beyond our imagination Um, And it's just a pleasure and a privilege all that to say to be here to be able to share with you and to be able to You know share life with you all Um, I've been here since the middle of February and if you've been with us You know that we've been going through the book of Ephesians as Pete said and it's been an amazing journey together Even for me the short time that I've been able to sit through it um, as we walk through the letter of Ephesians and if I counted correctly, this is the 14th week that we are in this series. And so as we come to a close, I'm just excited to be able to get to it. And this journey has taken us through the letter as Apostle Paul kind of lays out for the church in Ephesus and in turn for us, the church today, um, the work of Christ that was accomplished so that as children of God that we would walk as people of Christ. And you may remember... And if not, I'll help you refresh your memories. Um, That in the first week of the series, Pete talked about the importance of our grammar here. That the order is important and deliberate. That as Apostle Paul opens up the letter, he talks about grace and peace. And that's how he begins the letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this sets up the structure for the whole letter. Grace which is given to us through the person and work of Christ of Christ, and Paul exhorts the church to remember this grace in chapters 1 through 3. And peace, which is accomplished for us by grace through faith and allows us to walk as salt and light in this fallen world, united as a body under Christ, who is the head. And so grace leads to peace. And chapters 1 to 3 indicate that the grace that we have received by remembering who we are as God's people, that we are blessed people, that we are saved people, that we are a new family that is loved by God and is in the sovereign hands of God. And then therefore, chapters four through six give us instruction and guidance and command for how we are to live in light of that grace that we've received. And God's grace leads us to his peace and this piece is an all-encompassing, all-inclusive piece that covers the church and its mission. It covers inside and out of ourselves, our relationships, our marriages, our work, our ups and downs of life. And so with all that being said, kind of setting, kind of setting the context and remembering what we've went through in the book of Ephesians, uh, we want to head to the passage this morning, which comes to us from the very end of. Uh, the epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. And it says this, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. And so for these verses, I'm going to set the sort of the roadmap for us as we go down this passage. Um, the first part I want to talk about Tychicus and a brief look at who he is and what role he played in the church, his ministry. And then we want to move to the second second uh, section, the last two verses, which is this two-part benediction that Paul concludes the letter with, and it's so vital that we understand how this ties together everything that Paul talked about in the letter. And um, yeah, before we before I get into that, why don't we uh, why don't I pray, um, kind of pray pray and kind of settle my heart, and I want to just kind of be with you all in spirit and so let's pray together Uh, Father we ask for your wisdom and for your guidance and we ask that you lead us through your good and perfect and inerrant word that that you would use me in this time um, and that you would open up all of our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear and understand and know who you are, and your truths, and to be able to respond in praise and worship. So we thank you, and we give this time to you, and all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To set the scene, we know that Paul is in jail as he writes this letter. More like a form of house arrest where visitors would have been allowed and letters are allowed to go in and out. And we also know that Tychicus has served faithfully alongside Paul in his ministry, as he's mentioned a number of times in Scripture um, in Acts 20, 2 Timothy 4, Titus 3, and Colossians 4, to be, to be specific. And some scholars believe that he may have been carry he may be the one to carry the letter to Philemon as well. And so he's very involved in Paul's ministry, as we can see. And by carrying, to, carrying these letters to Ephesus, and he does the same sort of work for uh, the Colossians, and so to carry the letters to Ephesus and to Colossae, among others, Tychicus serves faithfully as a courier for Paul. And it's interesting that this custom wasn't a church custom, it wasn't something that Paul started, but it was something that Caesar Augustus started. Um, to write letters and send a close friend or confidant or co-worker to deliver the letter so that the courier could address any concerns answer any questions following the letter um, and give a report of the, the writer and so Taikika serves this role by delivering the letter and gives any information on Paul and his status on his imprisonment and his trial and so yeah Paul's in jail waiting for trial and Tychicus could provide any updates to, to the church as they're concerned and as they're praying for him and supporting him. And Paul communicated with other churches in this way in a similar manner and was able to receive support as he did with the Philippian church. And Paul's well-being and as well as encouragement and exhortation that he gives from prison would have surely grabbed the attention of the audience, especially the church in Ephesus, who he spent an extent, extended time with. And so Tychicus plays this role of a courier, and he serves faithfully in this way, and Paul describes him as the beloved brother and faithful minister, or faithful servant. And he brings this letter and news on Paul. But his name alone is interesting. I did a little study on his name. Um, it, It's derived from the Greek word meaning, uh, Greek Greek word that's tuke. That means fortuitous or fortunate. So it literally means his name is Lucky. And a key figure for the letter to the Ephesians that opens, the whole letter opens by speaking of God's love that was predestined for us for adoption to him and an inheritance that was predestined for us, according to the purpose of His will, and to have the deliver, uh, div- deliverer of this letter um, be named Lucky. You know, now if there's ever a coincidental display of God's sovereignty, you know, there it is. Um, and God certainly has a way of using things that we intended for ourselves, as His parents clearly did not have that intention. They just named him Lucky. And God takes the things that we intend for ourselves and even intend for evil, and he turns these things for his purposes according to the purpose of his will. And so even just his name alone is a little display of God's sovereignty there. Um, And as we see in the letter, Tychicus has two goals that he wants to accomplish that Paul has instructed him to be this proper courier of the times by updating them on Paul's life, Paul's time in prison, and answering any questions about this letter. And in one sense this is a very practical practical need that's met. He provides the church with information about how Paul is doing and how he's, you know, who they are supporting, what they're pouring their resources into. And the people in the church probably knew Paul well because he spent an extended with them. But through this interaction, Paul models what it looks like to be a church that is united in Christ. He not only gives exhortation and instruction through the letter, but he provides details of his life that gives them a lens into what's going, what he's going through, what he's struggling with, and allowing them to pray for him specifically. And so this is similar to what takes place between the members of this church. Um, Our life group models that, and as we kind of get together and we share our lives, as we learn and are reminded of the past sermon, and as we open up our hearts and our lives and our struggles to be vulnerable within one another, we give room for the Spirit to work, and we allow this fellowship to take place. And so this is what Paul, Paul models by allowing Tychicus to play this role. And ultimately, this kind of interaction takes place in the church not just so that we could have some sort of network but so that Christ could be exalted in our needs and our struggles that we see prayers answered struggles overcome that we see people being comforted That as we turn away from ourselves and depending on ourselves and we see people turn to Christ that he is glorified in us Tychicus also serves as an expositor of the word, as he's charged with taking the same passages that we went through and answering any questions that the church might have. To make it really clear, hey, what did Paul mean when he talked about wrestling, not wrestling against the flesh and blood, but against the spirit, spiritual forces of evil? What did Paul mean by that? And Tychicus could play this role where he can answer any questions that they had And so he helps communicate the heart of what Paul has written to them and ultimately communicate the will of God to them. Secondly, he plays this role of encouragement, encourager. And he's sent there to encourage their hearts, it says, and to round out sort of the pastoral duties he has, not only unfolding the word of God, but encouraging their hearts to love on them, to speak truth to them, and to point them to the hope that we have in Christ. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant, is probably not the first person we think of when we think about the Hall of Fame of biblical figures. But he certainly played a critical role in this church that served both on a practical and spiritual level. And now we turn our attention to the final two verses, getting into the the twofold benediction, as we call it. And it's very similar to the opening verses, and yet carry a slight contrast. In the opening verses, touched upon this earlier, but it says this, grace and peace. It talks about God's grace. It conveys the grace of God, which leads us to peace. And so this is something that we call doxology, because we open with the recognition and the declaration of God's glory. It is our worship to him. In contrast, the final two verses say this, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so it's very, very slight, but you see the difference there. He says peace and grace. And here order is important. As Paul closes the letter, his desire for them is that they would walk away with the peace of God and the love with faith. Then highlights the grace which those who love Jesus incorruptibly have received." This is a prayer of blessing for the Church. In other words, a benediction that we see each week here. And you see both aspects of this as part of our worship service. You know, we open by recognizing that it is God who begins with us, God who initiates with us, and thereby giving him all the glory, honor, and praise And we close with a benediction as a blessing for the church. And often we hear the words, go in peace. So we want to look at the the two parts of Paul's closing benediction, peace and grace. And what does that mean? Firstly, in verse 23, Paul prays for peace. And peace, it's a fickle thing if we think about it, especially in this day and age. We're constantly distracted and, you know, we have a number of screens. I, myself, have like three or four screens when I work. And, you know, it keeps, it keeps everything organized. But, you know, a lot of things pop up and different things on your phone. And it's super easy to get distracted. Um, and humans are probably more connected today than we've ever been in history. And I, for one, could not have imagined moving out to Arizona away from Maryland without the technology that we have today, Um, you know, without being able to FaceTime back home with some friends and family, Um, without having the number of social media outlets to keep in touch and know what's going on in the lives of my friends back home. Um, And and all of this allows me to stay connected to people that are 2,300 miles away. And yet, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before, this sort of phrasing that, At the same time, we're the most disconnected that we've ever been because we're so glued to our screens, because we're so glued to um, what's going on outside of us that whether we're waiting in line or sitting on the toilet or out with dinner, out for dinner with friends, the screen is there capturing our attention. And we're constantly stimulated and then disappointed because these outlets don't really fill our deep-seated longing and desire for peace this world tells us whatever floats your boat that's to say we should do whatever it is that you want whatever it is that I want to make ourselves happy because ultimately happiness leads to peace right and that's what brings you peace well Paul prays for peace but a different kind of peace. Paul prays for peace, this blessing for peace, peace that is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that phrasing, if we just kind of glance over it, might seem like an obvious thing because duh, it's in the Bible. Obviously it's from God and Jesus. But there is a striking difference when we talk about peace just in a worldly sense and when we talk about the peace that God gives to us. Peace from God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, points to a definitive, absolute, objective peace. Not whatever floats your boat. No. God says, I made you a top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art battleship that will undoubtedly float. And peace is not just a state of mind, but it is an objective reality. One commentator writes this about God's peace. Peace is an objective reality that results from the redemptive accomplishment of Christ in his sacrificial death on the cross. It is a gift of eschatological salvation as well as a sign that points to the presence of the new age and to the future of perfection. And this peace that we speak to, that, that, that we're hearing about, this peace is once described in the Old Testament as shalom peace, to use the Hebrew expression, which it expresses a total sense of peace. It's hard to express in English because we you know, express it in the same way with the same word, but it's not simply that you find quiet and rest. It's not simply that all your oppositions and hostility ends, but it is full satisfaction of the deepest groanings and longings of our hearts that is a portion of God's peace that, we're, that we receive and biblical objective untainted peace is from God and Paul prays for this peace for the church and the second part of verse 23 he follows that up by talking about love with faith and after emphasizing the dynamics Of the relationships between believers as children of God whether it is husband to wife parent to child masters masters to slaves boss to employees we're called to walk in love as it says in chapter 5 verse 2 as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and just as we recited beautifully during the Easter service last week, Paul remembers what God requires of us, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that this is at the heart of all that God commands of us. And so Paul, throughout the letter to the Ephesians, doesn't just write a list of things that the church needs to correct and fix. He's not simply writing a manual for a healthy marriage or proper parenting. But with this blessing and this conclusion to the letter, he is reiterating that it is love that we have first received and are called to walk in and that this is at the heart of all that we do as believers. And so verse 23 says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The second part of this benediction is for grace. Grace. It's the free, unearned, unmerited favor of God. And Pete mentioned this in the second week of the series, which was titled, Dear Church, You Are Blessed. And he addressed why you are blessed, if you remember. Because you are. Why are we blessed with the righteousness of Christ, as if it was our own? because you are because of grace and it's here that paul mentions grace and yet again draws a distinction between the church and the world he draws a dividing clear line and he does this in the beginning of the letter as he addressed the letter to the saints in ephesus and it's fitting that paul ends the letter on the same note but as he does this, Paul uses very, very peculiar language um, because he says this grace is not for everyone, but it's all for who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And this word incorruptible, it's translated in other passages as immortal or imperishable. And so this incorruptible, immortal, undying, everlasting love for Christ that's what Paul is speaking to. And Calvin com- comments on our passage here, this passage. And he says, This prayer conveys to us the instruction that the only way of enjoying the light of the divine countenance is to love sincerely God's own Son in whom His love towards us has been declared and confirmed. In other words, the only way of enjoying the grace of our God is to sincerely love God his son, Jesus Christ, because it's in Christ that his love towards us has been declared and confirmed. And now hearing that, it leaves me conflicted. On one sense, I take comfort in that. I take pride in knowing that my Lord loves me in this way and has declared and confirmed his love to us. But in another sense, it, it leaves me kind of Short-handed, it leaves me a little, you know, faltering because I definitely waver in my love for Jesus in my life. If not just in the past week, past couple hours maybe. And it's a difficult, difficult qualifier for me to receive that blessing because we falter, we waver, we go back and forth. And if we end there, we no longer have the good news of the gospel and Pete will probably never ask me to speak again. (laughs) But Paul reminds us of the gospel again because he says grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. I'm so thankful that we have a gospel of grace because I know that on my own, my heart is prone to wander away from God but grace, that single word alone, points us and the readers of this passage and the hearers of this, this, this word that, that as Paul talked about earlier in the passage, in, in, in the whole letter I mean, it helps us to recall what Paul talked about according, uh, about grace. We read this last week as well during the service. Chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. By grace, he says, you have been saved through faith, and we are his workmanship. And therefore, our love for God is not measured by the quality of our loving, but by the totality of our dependence in His grace. It's not how much you do. It's not how much you earn. It's not how much you merit that showcases our love for Jesus. Sooner or later, we always fail. So much so that you know, we have a common phrase that covers all our mistakes. I'm only human, and everyone makes mistakes. Rather, we need the grace of God to cover our failures, our shame, our guilt. Grace that calls us to draw near and take part in life with Him. Grace that does not demand a perfect work from us, but rather for us to depend on Christ's perfect work and point to Him as our righteousness and our hope. Grace is able to shape the posture of our hearts so that even though we may love God with an imperfect love, the righteousness and the love of Christ covers us nonetheless and directs our hearts towards Him. And so in closing, I, want, I, I just want to encourage us and I pray that we walk away from the letter of Ephesians with a sense of longing and expectation a longing to have the kind of fellowship that Paul and Tychicus demonstrated that, that they had with the church in Ephesus, a longing to be united, longing to be united not just to any, any group or organization, but a body of Christ that loves, that prays, that serves, that encourages, and that hopes. And I, and I pray that week after week, as we worship and as we, hear that God has initiated with us, and as we hear the benediction, go in peace, that we have an expectation of God's real, objective, shalom peace to be in our lives. Not that we would somehow find or stumble across peace, but that we would receive peace and rest in the midst of all our crazy and chaotic lives. A peace that will give us a foretaste Of the peace that is to come in the coming kingdom and I pray that as those who profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ all of us here that we would depend so much more on the grace of God that is the sweetness of our salvation and the kindness of God that by the power of his love our love for our Lord Jesus Christ would be incorruptible Eternity. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you loved us, because you initiated with us, and that you come to us, condescending to our level, to help us to guide us, to cause us to understand, to know who you are and your truths. And you leave us not to be on our own to figure it all out, but you leave us with this church, a picture of heavenly fellowship, and you leave us with your peace that covers all And your grace that reminds us of who you are and what you've done and so we rejoice in that we delight in that and we want to be a people that respond to your grace each and every single moment of our lives and so help us and guide us to walk with you to not wander from you but be grounded in you That you would be our guide and our Lord. And so we thank you and we love you. And all this in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James.